You are here for a reason. This news just in. We are your news now. Right on radio. For continuous coverage, the latest information, separate fact from opinion. Get the truth. Get the news. You're listening to Right on Radio. You are here for a reason. And yes, you are here for a reason, and I say good day to you because it's 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time when you're watching this, Jesse. <laughs> but I like good mornings, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Just so much easier than saying good evening. <laughs> good evening, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll have to add the darling at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that way you'll be accused of being an Illuminati again for saying just that. Darling. Right? I mean, I know, like, you know, the darling <laughs> totally goes with the Illuminati women socialites. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, listen, we like to have fun here. The tagline of the show is live right in the real world. We're going to expose the real world to you and you decide how to live right. We have a fantastic guest who has a great history with Jesse, who we're going to be bringing on in just a couple minutes. Uh, and you know what? It's, it's going to be some serious conversation, but I think there's going to be a lot of levity in it as well. Uh, our guest Jan is certainly... Uh, bright and will light up a room as she comes in, just like Jesse does. So uh, I, we're really excited to get to it, and it's a great story as well. Uh, but before we do, Jesse, we like to have a little bit of fun on the program, and we're going to have just a little bit of fun before she comes on because I found a video that was posted on Digs this morning, and it's a minute and a half long. It's it's a it's a joke essentially, but it's a feel good joke, and. Uh, and I really think that uh, people are going to like it. And and there's incredible wisdom in this as well. Um, in fact, uh, this is something that you can use in your own life. And it's a lesson from just a little girl on an airplane. So just give me a second here uh, as I share this screen. And you can listen to this. An atheist was seated next to a little girl on an airplane, and he turned to her and said, Do you want to talk? Flights go quicker if you strike up a conversation with your fellow passengers. The little girl, who had just started to read her book, replied to the total stranger, What would you like to talk about? Oh, I don't know, said the atheist. How about why there is no God, or no heaven or hell? or no life after death, as he smiled smugly. Okay, she said, those could be interesting topics, but let me ask you a question first. A horse, a cow, and a deer all eat the same stuff, grass. Yet a deer excretes little pellets while a cow turns out a flat patty when a horse produces clumps. Why do you suppose that? The atheist, visibly surprised by the little girl's intelligence, thinks about it and says, Hmm, I have no idea. To which the little girl replies, Do you really feel qualified to discuss God, 
heaven and hell or life after death when you don't know shit. <laughs> wow. That is that was very good. <laughs> I I know, right? <laughs> Listen, uh, there there is real wisdom in that. I'm telling you. In fact, that little girl gets a Right on, right on, right on. All right. So Jesse, also in the chat channel this morning, I saw a request that we talk more about the patented versus the pure bloods. The patented and the pure bloods. You're going to have to make a little button for that. <laughs> I know, right? So, uh, and you know what, and, and they were asking me to kind of make fun of, of the patented people. And, and honestly, there is a line of compassion that we need to have for, for those people, but I did reflect on it and, and I got to come forth and just be completely honest with you, Jesse. Um, jealousy does not come from God. God speaks out against jealousy, but I'm a little bit jealous. Of the patented. Why is that? Think of the benefits they got going on. Now, first of all, I've always kind of been a high-tech guy, uh, you know, and every time they go, uh, you know, they get, they get updates. It's like you get an update to your, to your service, you know, your operating <laughs> system and people are constantly getting updates. And, you know, I feel like a dinosaur. And, and You're right. updates, that, upgrades, I mean, you know, at six of them. Is there a cost? I think it's at no cost, Jeff. That's it's it. at no cost. You get free free updates to the operating system. And and you know, like all like anything, when you update your operating system, you know, sometimes there, you know, people get the virus or the computer gets sick, sort of thing. Right. But the, 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 these people are so joyous, they're even happy when they get sick from, from it, you know, because they know that the upgrade eventually is going to, you know, be self-modifying and, and heal and things like that. But they have a lot of other stuff going forward that we don't have Jesse, but I've come up with a solution. I am not going to leave you the right on radio. I, I honestly, I prayed to God and I got an answer and this is going to be good. Okay. okay. So, Here's the other things they have. And, and listen, we can't compete with high tech. They have the billions and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah. we're not giving updates to the operating system in the same way that they are. Um, we don't have fancy tracker apps, you know, that can monitor all of our moves, you know, and that's pretty high tech. Like if you didn't know where a loved one was, you could go to the government and find out. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, it would come in handy. So they've got the high tech thing working. They they just have they have fancy passports, you know, uh, cool graphics they can show on their phone with QR QR codes and stuff like yeah. that. And, that not only gets them on airplanes and you know into the grocery store and certain businesses, but they get exclusive rights now in some places to even the movie theaters. So, you know what I got to say, so I'm just a little bit jealous of that, 
But here is our answer, Jesse, and it's different than what they have. And does it include sneaking into the theaters with boxes of candy in our backpack, Jeff? No, I can't support that anymore. I can't support that. But instead of showing this pass, here's what came to me, Jesse. Flashcards. Okay. Now hear me out. I'm going to encourage each one of you to make a meme or something like that with your favorite verse from the Bible on it. Just one verse. You have to pick one. But what you can do is instead of showing that, uh, you know, that uh, QR code that the other guys, the patented guys are doing the pure bloods, we can show our flashcard with our favorite verse. And I'm going to tell you that verse from the Bible has more power than any fancy QR code. Right. Oh my goodness. You know, I think I'm going to go for that revelations one, you know, where it says, and they shall see his face and his name shall be written on their foreheads. That'd be a good one. There you go. So that's, and and by the way, uh, if you did want to go to one of those restaurants where they expect you to show something fancy, perhaps you just show that and the grace of God allows you to enter in. Maybe we could give it a shot. Hey, I'm going to make one and I'm going to download it. I'm going to keep it in my photos on my phone. And whenever I'm in that situation, I'm going to pull out my flashcard. (laughs) Well, the other thing is, I mean, you just could get a tattoo that says patented. That might work as well. And then just show them your patent, you know. Yeah, I'm going with the pure blood. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? Considering I hung around with a lot of outlaw motorcyclists over the years to have no tattoos at my age, I'm like the (laughs) only one. (laughs) (laughs) We need to remedy this, Jeff. (laughs) Well, I'm going to wait until I get the father's name put on it, but I have to see his face first, apparently, according to Revelation 22. So funny. Hey, listen, don't forget to hit the like button. I don't say this very often, but uh, please do hit the like button, subscribe, and things like that. And we're going to be bringing Jan on in just a quick moment. Uh, But I I was telling people that uh, for My Liberty Stand that there was going to be a really, really big announcement on on Saturday, and there was actually more than one. Uh, But I just want to let you know, in case you didn't go through the, uh, the launch, Uh, One of the big things that came out in my estimation was what they're calling free shipping. Mm. Now, I I want to be completely honest with you, and this is assuming you're already shopping with us. Um, Most companies, when they say we're going to give out free shipping, Jesse, all they do is they inflate the price and they include the shipping. Uh, we've, they've never done this. They, they've never raised the price. They've always been transparent in shipping costs. And now what they've done is really cool. So if you put in a minimal order, it is just always a flat rate charge. It doesn't matter how much, how big or how little it's basically $10 shipping. Okay. Uh, in the U S $12 in Canada, thereabouts in some sense on both sides. But, uh, but if you order a certain amount of product, you get free shipping. It gets credited to you for your next order. You can perpetually 
use this money. And quite honestly, the, uh, the amount of product you have to buy is under what I buy every month anyways. And by the way, there's just two of us in our house using this stuff. It's really easy because it's stuff you're spending, uh, going into the cabal stores anyway. So listen, it's a, there's never a better time. And I know what they're going to be launching in February is even bigger. Uh, but this is a really big announcement. So go to my Liberty stand and stop supporting the cabal. If you have not signed up, this is for North America only. You should go to mylibertystand.com. One of your fellow right on radio listeners is going to take you on a virtual tour through the thing. And by the way, the, uh, you know, I'm talking to the people who are doing these calls and meeting with you that are, you know, are with our listeners. And sometimes Jesse or I might even jump in. You might be surprised. Um, but what I'm going to tell you is I, I'm hearing that lifetime relationships are being formed uh, in doing this and getting it's It's so rare to meet someone common minded with you who really knows what's going on. And that's when you get when you deal with our concierge service from your fellow right on radio listeners. So Jesse, without further ado, would you like to introduce our guest for today? Absolutely. Um, this is an amazing friend of mine. Uh, we met, we're going to share a story today about how we actually met. It's an amazing story. Uh, but she also, you know, as I got to know her throughout the years, has a testimony that every individual needs to hear. It's just so powerful. I'm always talking about, you know, the system and the people in the system. And so, you know, she's going to share about the life that she grew up in. And uh, you'll just see and hear the hand of God throughout her entire testimony. So with that, I'd like to welcome Jan. Jan, welcome to Right On Radio. Thank you. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Yes. And well, Jan, I know I want to get right into it, but um, you've got so much to share today and I'm excited for people to kind of hear everything. Um, I'll let you begin with kind of the story of how we met from your side. <laughs> yes. This quite is, the story. This is quite the story. And I um, jokingly, but seriously, <laughs> say <laughs> that my paradigm shifted the day I met Jesse. So oh, um, we should add it's before I met you, before the Lord even began to launch my ministry yeah. with yeah. Illuminate the Darkness or even my speaking online. Mm -hmm. um, yes, ma'am. We met, I was looking at the email that I just shared with you that I stumbled on. We met at least six years ago, I would say. Wouldn't yeah. you say, Jess? Yeah, and, I think um, it was back 2016 yeah. or so. Yeah. yeah. And so what I would do is I would routinely go to this little coastal town for a little personal retreat. I went once or twice a year and had this little uh, motel that I stayed at. And I had a little routine down. And um, I um, so this particular weekend, I was on my retreat. And this particular weekend, I had invited a dear friend to come with me, which I seldom did, but just felt like she needed a break. And so the two of us headed down to this little coastal town that I went to. And um, like I said, I had a routine. I would get there on a Friday and go to this fish 
restaurant. And then on Saturday morning, I would go to this little coffee shop um, in town um, that was owned at the time, I don't know now, by Christians. And so I would go and just kind of hang out in the coffee shop and study the word and just kind of chill. Well, this particular Saturday, my friend um, Amy and I were um, uh, going to go in the morning like my little routine had dictated, but we decided to change up. There was a bead store. I like to bead. So there was a bead store that I wanted to see. So it ended up, instead of going in the morning, that we went mid to later afternoon to this little coffee shop. And so uh, in this coffee shop, there was this huge uh, chalkboard and the customers could write little notes and little things. And so um, I went in and wrote some little note. Who knows what I wrote? And um, <clears throat> so there wasn't really anybody in there. It was like late afternoon. So I think the, the shop was going to close in a couple hours. And so my friend and I just sat and we're, we're chilling and reading the word and whatnot. After a while, I look up in this person who works there, who I would later find out is Jesse, <clears throat> is uh, cleaning up and she starts erasing my message. So I call across the coffee shop and I say, hey, I just wrote that message. Why are you erasing my message? And, you know, I'm laughing and whatever. So that invited Jesse to come over and start chatting with us. And um, and so we start chit chatting and um, and we start sharing just kind of just, you know, casual kinds of stuff. And somehow Jesse said something about she was writing a book. And I bet you I just got to think and I bet you that you're illuminate the darkness. Is it? No, uh, his kingdom comes in power. Oh, there we yeah. go. His kingdom comes in power. That's right. I'm sorry. And so I was like, really? I'm supposed to write a book. Now, Jesse has written the book. I have not written my book. So we were just talking. And so she sits down. And she, and, and at that time, there were a, an increase in those after-school Satan clubs. Right, Jess? Yeah. And I think we'll just call them after-school programs of alternative oh, yes. means. Oh, yes. After school programs that were not God glorifying. I'll say that. And <laughs> um, and so Jess was was really trying to get the message out about what that's all about and going to local electeds and stuff. So she's kind of sharing this with us. Well, in that, she starts sharing a little bit of her story. Well, needless to say, <laughs> as she begins <laughs> to share her story, Amy and I are kind of like, <laughs> And like, dear God, who did you have us meet? And, Hello, um, darling. I'm a mother of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and so we're just kind of, we're sitting like in a little circle. We're chatting because no, no other customer's there. And all of a sudden, we hear this bang into the front door. And this woman comes barging in. Like, she just had this attitude. But she looked so out of place. She had a suit on and she had a briefcase and she comes marching into the coffee shop and I'm looking at my friend. And and so, you know, Jess is working. So she gets up and she goes and gets her order. And so the lady sits clear across the coffee shop from us. And um, and so Jess is, you know, visiting with her. And I'm thinking, I mean, the lady walked in and the hair on the back of my neck started standing up. And um, I'm thinking, what is this? And so Jesse's chatting and then Jesse comes back and talks to us and um then at that point uh, you got to bring out that she literally turned oddly to sit facing us like yeah. <laughs> oh yeah she was on a mission it was clear and so then we're talking 
And then she gets up. Everything was like, and so she gets up and she marches in front of us, like cuts, cuts our little love circle in half. She just marches in front of us and goes to the bathroom. And I don't know what Jesse did. Jesse just wandered off and went and had to go do something. But so my friend and I were like, what's going on? So I just start speaking in tongues because I just know something's wrong. And, uh, and so, and I'm just, I'm getting antsy. And then the lady comes out and she walks around and then we resume talking and then she abruptly leaves. And I'm like, Jesse, what was that? Uh, can you tell me what was going on there? Cause I'm like, hey. And then we all, we had just found out who this woman kind of is. So we're already on edge, you know? And so, um, and Jesse's like, oh, you know, I don't know. What'd you tell me? I think it was, I was like, oh, she's just one of the system people. I think, as I told you about how all these system high level people kept coming into the coffee shop and harassing me. Yeah. And then, so she came in and you could tell like, you know, she's definitely a witch and she's, there for an alternative purpose, not really just to come and enjoy coffee. Right. She was like purposely sitting there drinking her coffee, watching, monitoring. And it was because of our discussion, like what we were talking about with the alternative school programs. <laughs> so it's like, it was just like on cue. It's like, oh, you know, we're going to send somebody to be there because they're talking about something in our community. And, and this is a high level you know, th that whole area is very high level with witches and warlock. And I think we've figured out that like just the one town has only 600 people, but 400 of those people are high level witches and warlocks within the system. So very interesting. Yes. And in my head, unbeknownst to Jesse, I'm thinking, dear God, why have you, why have you had me meet this woman? <laughs> you know, my life was skippy happy. And now these things are happening all of a sudden. And so it was. Welcome to knowing Jesse. <laughs> what did you say? I'm sorry. Welcome to knowing Jesse. That's right. Now, mind you, I just had surface, like surface not even barely surface level. We just knew very, she just shared very little snippet of her history, like very little. So I've actually learned, learned about her history like everybody else in your audience, Jeff, and that is listening to Jesse uh, on these different shows. I didn't know, like, and my jaw's generally hitting the ground all the time thinking, I met her at a coffee shop. And so anyhow, so we, my friend Amy and I, we did not want to leave Jesse by herself. Like, you know, I kick in. I'm like, let us help you clean up the store. You don't know me. So you handle the till. Let me sweep. I'll sweep. And, you know, let us help. We don't want to leave you by yourself. Like, I'm not sure what I thought we were going to do if anything happened, but we just weren't going to leave Jesse by herself. And I think you should there. add the lady when she left the coffee shop went and sat in her car. Yeah. Oh, yes. And was just sitting there. Yeah. Yes. And we weren't going to let anything happen to Jess somehow. <laughs> And so um, anyway, so she wouldn't let us. And so I'm like, we're not leaving. So we actually got into the car and went across the street and just parked across the street and watched to make sure she was okay until she got into her car and left and was okay. So then um, we just, and I could tell more about how we went to that restaurant, Jess, and the mile marker and all that, but I'll stop there. <laughs> Uh, cause that's a story in and of itself. But, 
Um, so that was the beginning of my paradigm shift in life, introducing me to Jesse. And um, we would, I would just loosely stay in touch with her over the years via email. And the Lord would all of a sudden put her on my mind. And I would shoot her an email and say, God has you on my mind. How are you? And she'd be like, oh, it's right on time. And here's what's going on. So that's, and it's been this last couple of years, we've been able to connect more. But mm-hmm. so that's kind of how we met in a coffee shop. This woman was erasing my message and I had to put a stop to that. <laughs> You know, well, that day, I just have to say in my defense that there was absolutely nobody but you two there, and you were just reading your Bible, sipping on your coffee, and I was bored. I had already cleaned the whole shop twice and was like, I need something to do. And so I was like, ah, I'll put a new na- a new game on the chalkboard. So I just went to erase it and put up a new game, and you're like, hey. <laughs> Oh, and I, I just learned this from Jesse a handful of months ago. We were chatting. So I told you how our schedule, this is this is where you really see it's a God thing. Our Like I told you, I had my little routine. And at the last minute on that Saturday morning, we switched it around because I wanted to go to the bead store and whatever not. Jesse told me just the other, just a handful of months ago that she was actually scheduled to work that morning. That morning, yeah. And then my coworker got sick. And so I ended up, I switched to shift and took that evening shift and was just there by myself. Yeah. So if you want to, you, you can't make this stuff up. God wanted us to meet. Like there's no way God didn't want us to meet. And he knew my personality that I'd yell out about her erasing my story. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we met. I just love our story. It's just, and over the years, it just kept in touch, you know, um, it's been and then, really and then cool. we got to meet at a coffee shop and you got to start sharing some of your story with me as I shared more of mine and that, you know, kind of the work God was starting to call me into. I think at the time I, w- I had already uh, written the presentation about the clubs and I, you know, had a lot of individuals like who were either principals, teachers, um, or local government people, some of the senators that I had started meeting with. And the Lord had, you know, it had started with one day where he just said, I want you to write this presentation and you're going to start to tell them your story. And I said, okay, Lord. So as soon as I finished writing that presentation, the Lord literally started bringing people to me. And it was a large amount, like Within a couple of months, I had given that presentation to over 350 people. And it was like, Lord, I don't know where you're taking this or what you're doing with it. Um, but I was, you know, meeting with the social directors, a lot of different um, people who were working within the school systems, the counseling. So I think it was during one of those times we sat down and started talking about that work. And then that's when you kind of started opening up, sharing about your story and asking questions because you heard me talking about, you know, some of the connections between the system and the Masons. And that's where that started to connect with your story. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just thought of one more thing. I We met again at that's another time when I was at my retreat at the restaurant, you remember? And so she had uh, indicated about a book that she wanted. And uh, so this is funny, you guys, because it's called The Handbook for Spiritual Warfare. 
And so I brought her a copy and I'm thinking, oh yeah, this will probably really help her in her little did I know. <laughs> oh boy, little did I know about she was quite a, a uh, well versed in spiritual warfare already, but I thought this little book was gonna be really beneficial. <laughs> But it was something I really wanted. Like I hadn't, I had run across that book in seminary and had wanted a copy. So that was funny. I had never even told you that. And then yet you brought that and I was like, yay, now I have a copy, you know, to keep on my resources. So it was, it was very good. <laughs> I thought it'd help her in spiritual warfare and it was just an answer to her prayer. So either way, <laughs> God used it. Yep. Do you want me to t tell you about my Yeah, story? why don't you go ahead and start sharing about um, kind of about your family that you grew up in, and I'll let you just take over with your testimony because it's okay. so powerful. Um, so um, I was adopted at birth, and, um, uh, and actually my parents didn't get me, I think, until, about I, was, until I was about nine months old. I lived in foster care. Uh, simply because um, my birth was a very difficult one and um, I was a four-step baby and so I had this large hematoma I guess on my head and so they wanted the adoption agency wanted to make sure I was okay before they actually gave me up for adoption and I guess that's probably debatable whether I'm okay or not but um, <laughs> well you met but, me I think that answers a lot of questions <laughs> there we go <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyhow, so I grew up in this loving family, um, the only child um, my mom of my mom and dad. And um, I had the sweetest mom on earth. Like she it, she was just like the sweetest, most loving mom that you could ever hope to have. And um, and my dad was a good dad. Um, he was a good dad. Uh, I wouldn't, he, he could be pretty firm, um, but definitely he was a good dad. I mean, he's just a normal dad, you know, and I'm thankful. I, so many things could have turned out differently. In fact, I have since met my birth mom and that's a, an amazing story in and of itself. And I just see, and I'll, I'll tap into it just a little bit, but I can just see how God's hand was on it. Um, I'll just say that my birth father wanted her to abort me and, um, and even though this was in the 60s when it wasn't legal, um, it was still available. And uh, my mom's uh, faith prevented her from going that way. And yet she was a very, uh, had been through a horrible abusive family and was not mentally stable or healthy. And yet she resisted the temptation to do that. So I'm here today because my birth mom resisted that temptation to take that way out. But anyway, so I grew up in what I would consider a normal family, whatever normal is, I guess. Um, and it wasn't until um, I think I was like in probably third or fourth grade, we had moved to Texas and I was in third or fourth grade. And um, when my dad started getting more involved in the masonry, I think that he had been a Mason early on. His grand his grandfather was a Mason and so forth and so on. But um, he, I don't recall him being active, but I was younger. But anyway, but it was in Texas that he got very active. He got very involved. And that's when he got uh, into the Shriners. 
Um, and so, you know, he did all the, you know, we had the Shriners Square dancing and the, he was in the mini patrol. So he did all that stuff, you know, but I remember um, all of my life, his passion for doing Shriners was the hospital. And um, now mind you, what I know now about the Masonic system and what I lived was very different, very different things. Um, and so I grew up in it and then I couldn't wait till I was 12 to go into the Rainbow Girls, which is the youth organization, one of the youth organizations. So I got into that, um, did all that. Um, Maybe and talk a little bit about that to give people an idea of what the Rainbow Girls is and what it focuses on for um, girls that are growing up in that Masonic system. Yeah, so I actually, I denounced it so long ago. I had I had to go online to remember everything. <laughs> the Lord kind of erased me. But um, it, actually, it's it, the, the face of it is to, it's the face of it and the public mission of it is to train and equip young women um, to, um, uh, because what you do, one of the things that you do in this, Rainbow Girls is they have different stations, I guess, offices, and um, seven of them are the colors of the rainbow, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet, and they each mean something like red is love, orange is religion, yellow is nature, green is immortality, patriotism, I can't remember all of them, and so, you, there, and so there's lectures associated with those, and um, so for example, um, immortality talks about our immortality. But if you were to actually look at the, the lecture, you can see where, where um, and I didn't know this because I, I wasn't raised in a, um, I was raised in the Episcopal church. And so I wasn't raised, you know, understanding salvation and relationship. And so, but anyway, in immortality, it talks about how we have eternal life, but they don't talk about how that happens. So, um, so, you know, it's, it's very subtle. Everything is very subtle and it trains you to accept some, actually some supernatural, uh, spiritual things very subtly. Um, and then there was faith, hope, love, and charity were like the main stations that you worked mm -hmm. up to worthy advisor. And, um, so I was worthy advisor. I did all that. I was, um, as I was most of the offices and at some point, and, um, and so, um, so in the, and so you just have these lectures, you have these lessons, you do do service projects. There's a lot of social, social, socializing, you know, you do fun things and fellowship things and, or that's what they call it, fellowship things and things like that and overnighters and like that. So, um, so I was very involved and engaged in that. And, and by this time it was in Oregon where I was, where my, we had moved to. So I was very engaged in that. Um, and my dad, um, was all about, I mean, our lives circled. I mean, talk about worship, our lives circled around the masonry and the Shriners and, um, everything we did. It, it was about that. In fact, I gave up a really good uh, fast pitch softball position when I was younger because uh, it conflicted with the rainbow girls. I mean, so everything mm -hmm. evolved around 
it was like a worship of, in and of itself. Um, so does that help, Jess? And then there's yeah, the no, that was a great explanation. I yeah, think and then people... there's the demolays for the boys and all of that. And then there's the Job's Daughters, which was the other girls' organization. So, but I was in the Rainbow Girls. Yeah, I think it's it's neat to hear of somebody who actually lived through that and, um, you know, experienced it from your perspective because you you know it was very ingrained in your family life and. A lot of those things aren't even shared with the public that they have girls programs or boys programs or, you know, and that it starts before even, or I should say it starts in the family, not just necessarily, um, you know, men who get their college years and then decide to join a fraternity and find out that it's this Mason group, you know, so. And it's very, um, a lot of symbolism. I mean, we had our pledges that we had to take. We had our secret handshakes. We had our secret symbols. You know, we had all of that too at, mm -hmm. at our level. And again, at that level, it, for the most part, looks innocent, you know, but I now know later, years later, it was prepping me and anybody else who was a part of it. It was prepping us to do something much worse. But yeah. I, you know, I didn't know that to me, it was just, a, you know, it was my life. That's what I knew. But, you know, there's, there's some, some things and, you know, people jump to conclusions very easy when they hear Masonic and rainbow and things like that. And it's, it's my opinion. And I'm, and I think Jesse shares this as well is first of all, not everyone who enters it is bad, <laughs> you know? Not everyone goes in there wanting to worship the same God they do. You know, um, I have friends that have joined and they say, listen, we take a good man, we make them better. And they believe that. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I perceive it to be is essentially a proving ground and a filtering system. And they're deciding which people go this way and which people go that way. Uh, some people yeah. can be steered into programs just doing their charitable arm, their public face, their good people. Uh, they're doing good deeds and they certainly do good deeds. They run hospitals, they, you know, fund different things. They, they, so there's all this stuff, but I, where I can't get past it is even just to become that first master at level three, the oaths that you have to take, you're cursing yourself. They're saying you have to believe in God, but you're cursing yourself. And, you know, I, I can't get, but I'm not saying that all people are bad that are in it. And I, and I think in the case of when we're, when you were discussing with your father, what I, what I'm hearing, Jan, is he was actually a very good man. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, why don't you share a little bit more about that, about what you experienced of his um, works and uh, things that he was doing within that system? Yes. You know, I think, I think I agree with you, Jeff. And, um, you know, I, I mean, my dad and I would talk about things, you know, of course he's not going to, there's, I remember there's different things he would tell me. I look back now and I'm like, huh. Um, like for example, you know, we would talk about, he would tell me that he believed in Jesus and he would tell me that he believed that Jesus was the son of God. You know, he, he would tell me that, but he, in the same breath, 
he would tell me that when they would take their vows, I'm not exactly sure what word he used, that they recognized. So, but in his mind, he was he was deceived. Obviously, you know, he he would say, well, you know, there's the the Muslim and the oh, there's Allah and then Jesus and then I don't know what else. You know, I mean, I half listened to him. I was his daughter, so you know how you only half listen to your own parents. And that so, sounds like a extended master's talk. <laughs> yeah. And so I and 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 now that I've learned more just through listening to Jesse, quite frankly, you know, I shudder to think what kinds of oaths my dad took. And quite frankly, I don't want to know. You know, I don't want to know that. Because I I know who my dad and and like I said, my dad didn't have a perverted bone in his body. Like you you he just did it. I, I was talking to a good friend of mine and she called him dad. And um, we were talking about that. I was going to come share and stuff. She says, oh, girl, he didn't have a perverted bone. He did. not he wasn't one of those kind, you know. And and I think my dad genuinely believed in what he was doing was good. That's the okay. kind of. And I was telling Jesse. Um, but I also remember my dad telling me and it was like a boastful thing. It was like a prideful thing. And it was like, um, he was telling me how the Masons, they stick together, like they supposed to stick together. Right. And so he was telling me like, for example, let's say he was in the courtroom and he might've been there because he maybe did something wrong. You know, he was in trial and he could flash a sign to the judge. And if the judge was a Mason, the judge would have to recognize that and treat him favorably. I mean, I remember my dad, that was very cool to my dad. And so um, I remember- oh, it does come with power. It does huh? come with power. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and so I remember him telling me that. Uh, <clears throat> and so, but again, like I said, so we were all, our lives are completely surrounded. My dad um, started going up the line to be the potentate in the Shriners. And, um, and so, but also kind of around that time for me, because I joined the Eastern Star, it was expected. I joined the Eastern, I was initiated into the Eastern Star when I turned 21. Um, it was just expected that you do that. And uh, so I, but to me, it was just boring and it was just a bunch of old ladies. So I never really went, but, um, but I was initiated. Who knows what vows I took? You know, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Um, so um, anyway, so my dad went up the line for the Shriners and became the potentate and all of that. But it was what happened is um, I accepted Christ um, in my bunk bed at um, the college that I went to. And that's just an amazing story in and of itself. And then as I began to <clears throat> walk with the Lord, I was introduced to this ministry that um, was exposing how Mormonism was a cult. And so a friend of mine had a viewing of this video of this ministry at her home and we're watching it. And as I'm watching it, they're showing about how Mormons have these secret hand signs. And, and I'm thinking in my head, that looks like rainbow girls. That looks like, you know, so in my head, I'm thinking that looks like Masons. That looks like what I'm familiar with, but this is the, how, so when it was all done, I was just telling this guy, man, it, it, it makes me um, think of the masonry. I grew up as a 
this. And he goes, well, the Masons are a cult too. I said, really? You know, and that was my <laughs> first introduction to that. And so for me, when I heard that, and so I was probably mm, 22, I don't know. Um, for me, I immediately denounced any association with um, the masonry. I denounced it. I uh, I resigned from the Eastern Star. I resigned. Oh, I must. I resigned from the Rainbow. I resigned everything, and I <clears throat> announced to my parents that I wasn't that it was a cult, and I wasn't doing it. And how did and, that go over with your parents? Well, it, you know, my dad wasn't happy. <laughs> I can tell you that. Uh, and he was like, and he just would, he just said, preacher, get off your soapbox. I don't want to hear it. That's what he told me. <laughs> so um, we just, I didn't talk about no, it. Did I, he deny it being a cult of any kind? Did he have any strong words against that or just get off think, your soapbox? Yeah. Well, he, yeah, he did. Cause I kept trying to preach Jesus and salvation. So that was part of it. But um, no, he did not. He did not think it was a cult. He's like, no, it's not. And da, da, da. You know, it's a good thing. It's a good organization. We do good things. Okay, but let me just explore that for a second. You have secret oaths. You have secret handshakes. You do have secret meetings. You cannot, you know, there's no women allowed in those meetings. You know, there's, that kind of sounds cultish. <laughs> but that's just for their benefits. That's the benefits of, of being in the club, you know? Maybe my dad was a cult, Jesse. <laughs> I'll pass on that, Jeff. I've already been in several. <laughs> okay, my so was... I, I'm not trying to get off subject from Jan here, but I was having a discussion last night. It's just kind of fun to think of when you look at the psyop that's going on in the world right now and how easily people obey. We could yeah. come up with a psyop and really like control the world. <laughs> Pinky in the brain. Uh, <laughs> maybe Jan can help us. You know, she, she's got some great skills here. It sounds like. That's right. We are, we're not the architects. We're the system builders. <laughs> Something. I don't go. know. <laughs> sorry. Going back to I, your I, story, I, digress. I, got a, I got a crazy mind. What can I say? I was certified <laughs> in the state of California. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I must it was. Be in your company then, Jeff. <laughs> I'm sure it was really hard for your parents where, you know, this is their whole life, everything that their family has done together. And then now you march in there and you're proclaiming, I'm no longer a part of it. Right. So what were some of the shifts then that happened in your life and theirs after that happened? Well, um, uh, can I just step right back a little bit though before I answer that question? I want to say that my dad, when my dad was going up, I was telling Jesse this the other night, when he was going up, the, when he was potentate, he wasn't a popular potentate. And um, what is a potentate? He's the head of the Shriners. Like they would run the lodge, with, you know, with the fezes, you know, he was the head of them. And so it's a, you had the grand poobah, as Fred Flintstone would say. Yes, he was the grand poobah. Yes. So you yes, have to be and a, then above, you have to above be a them. Yeah, you have to be 33 degree. And then I think above them would be like the illustrious supreme 
or the illustrious leader, then you'd have the illustrious supreme leader. So there'd be two regional directors that would be over him, but he would be the person who ran, was in charge of that lodge, that area, that and all the all the men that were in that temple and part of that lodge. And right. so, Jan, so you a, said you had to get to 33rd degree to get to that position? Yes. So he yes. was 33rd degree? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, so you and have, he wasn't popular. Why? Because he was very um, about doing things right. Like, you don't fudge stuff. You don't cut corner. He was about, my dad was, again, it, I guess probably there's a dichotomy here, but my dad was a very moral man in, in, a, in many things. And he, he didn't like some of the shenanigans that he was seeing going on. And he didn't agree with that. Whereas others that were before and after him were really popular and they, you know, the people went off, but he wanted to clean it up. He didn't want all these shenanigans. In fact, he was, I was asking him about this a few years ago, he was in uh, a secret, you know, how they have, okay, so he was in a secret society of an already Sikh society. He was in a group called the Royal Jesters. And, uh, and uh, I was asking him about that. And I was like, Dad, you were in that group. What was that group about? You know, and he was like, I didn't like the group. Why didn't you like the group, Dad? He said, I didn't, he said, I would go to the meetings and whoever was the head of it, um, would bring in women of the night, women of the evening. He goes, I wasn't about that. I didn't like that stuff. I didn't do that. You know, that's wrong. I wouldn't do that kind of stuff. So I didn't, I stopped going. I didn't like it. I didn't join that group to have women of the evening entertain me. That's not why I joined. So my dad um, was different and he wasn't always popular because he, you know, and like I said, his passion really was the kids. He did what he did. Uh, because he, he, and he was a Shriners clown, um, and his name was Punkin, and he loved the kids. He liked to make them happy. He knew they were going through a hard thing. And then he also started clowning on the side and doing magic tricks and balloons. He was amazing. Anyway. So, so I just um, want to make a point there, Jan, because when you say he loved the kids, I think one of the greatest examples of that is he adopted you. And I don't want that point to be missed. It takes, it takes like, it's really a beautiful thing to adopt a child and to accept responsibility for a child. And it's a commitment, right? You know, there's no giving them back, you know. And really for them, it was a commitment because I took them through hell and back. So, <laughs> and they still love me. It's enough. Ooh, I got a story. Let me tell you. Anyhow. Um, so, uh, so I wanted to say that about my dad, but, uh, um, I'm sorry, Jesse, you asked me a question and then I just got distracted. That's just me. It's okay. I, you've got so many things to say. I forgot the initial question I asked. I think it was just explaining, you know, where he was with that. Oh, um, when I, when I quit and life. all that happened, right? Yeah. So it was just, so I have to say I denounced it, but I loved my parents greatly and I knew they loved me greatly. And so, and I, and I should say, I'm going to step back a minute because when I denounced it, it was after um, my situation. I'm going to tell my little story here and then I'm going to catch us back up to answer that question, if you don't mind. Um, so I wasn't 
born again. And for whatever reason, growing in high school, the Lord always put born again friends around me. And um, I was I was kind and a nice person and all that. I was on one side and I, li I lived a double life and I was a little hellion on the other side. But but generally speaking, I was kind and I love people. I always have loved people. I'm always inclusive, bringing people in. You know, I remember one girl in my school growing up, we had the jocks and I was, I was an exceptional athlete. So we had the jocks, the the nerds. Those are the people in the choir and the band. And then we have the um, um, the socias. Those are the cheerleaders, you know, all that. And then we had the hoods, the ones who stood on the corner and smoked cigarettes and whatever, whatever else they were smoking. So I had one girl who was in the hoods come up to me and she said, you know what? You are, you're not like any of the other jocks. Like you just like everybody. You're nice to all of us. You make all of us feel welcome. You know, so that's who I was, you know, all of my life. And um, so anyway, so in high school, um, I was going to this Episcopal church and, and, and he had me around the Christian girls. I was always around the Christian girls, except when I wanted to be naughty. And then I went to the, the, um, the Kagers. But, um, you know, I was around the Christian, the Christian girls. Those were my friends. And that was just God. That, that, part of why I wanted to share my stories, you could just see God's hand on things. Even in the worst of circumstances, you can look back. And you can see God's hand on things if you really want to. And so um, I was beginning to, for those of you that are older like me, um, you may remember the movie, Oh God, with George Burns and John Denver. Did you I see do. that movie, Jeff? Yes, I did. And um, so the youth group, the only time I went to the youth group was when the youth group was going to go see that movie because I wanted to see the movie. And so it was my excuse for getting to go see the movie. And so I went to go see the movie and all that I could think about in that movie, I watched George Burns who played God and John Denver who played man and they would have conversation, right? Back and forth conversation. I honestly would find out later that it was a very unflattering char you know, character of God, but that's not what I saw. All I saw was that God was talking to man and man was talking to God. And so when we went back to the parish hall after the uh, movie, the priest asked us what we thought of the movie. And I was so excited. <laughs> and I was the first to share. And I said, you know, I know George Burns isn't God and everything, but I kind of forgot about that sometimes because I thought how cool it would be if God would talk to me and I could talk to God. I wish that could happen. And guess what his response was? What would your response be? My response today would be, you can have that happen and let me tell you how. But that wasn't his response. <laughs> his response was, next. And that was it. And I thought, did You're I kidding. No, I'm not. And I thought, oh, did I say something wrong? You know? But I share that to say, then that's important to my story here a little bit later on, that the Holy Spirit, you know, he starts drawing us. You know, so I could, that's where I can pinpoint the Holy Spirit had started drawing me. And then my, after I graduated from high school, getting ready to head out to college, my girlfriend and I were standing, talking on her front porch and she had just come back from young life or something. She was on fire for the Lord. And I told her, I said, Carol, I said, you got what I want, but I don't want to give up what I've got to have it. And so what did I have? 
promiscuity, being used sexually, and getting drunk. That's what I had that I didn't want to give up. <laughs> Go yeah. figure, right? Right. So, uh, so again, Holy Spirit drawing me. And then in college is where I met a girl who she was Catholic and she gave her life to Christ and she began to share Jesus with me. And that's how I accepted Christ. So that's that. But that first part of that story is important. Mm-hmm. So um, I um, stopped having stopped having the, the sex and all that and was really trying to follow God with whatever I knew to follow him because I didn't grow up in the church. So I didn't really know what that meant. And um, it ended up some months later, I met a man and um, fell with him one time. And at this point, I was had just been selected as Grand Charity in the Rainbow Girls. So we're going back to mm-hmm. Rainbow Girls now. I was Grand Charity, so I was a state grand officer. And that was like the dream office that my parents had and that I had for me. So I'm living the dream now, right? And I'm also coaching volleyball camps all over the Pacific Northwest, and I'm poised to play collegiate volleyball. And so um, I had uh, sex with this guy one time, and some four or five, six weeks later, um, felt like I had the flu. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, ended up going to a Planned Parenthood, ended up going to a Planned Parenthood, and finding out I was pregnant. Not only was I pregnant, I was pregnant by a black man. That's also key, 1980. My dad wasn't about mixed race dating. And so, um, and the nurse tried to convince me that, um, and successfully convinced me that um, I had my whole life in front of me. I was grand charity. I was playing volleyball. I could go get an abortion and nobody would ever know. And so my girlfriend who took me to the clinic was one of my Christian girlfriends. She was praying for me. She drove me, bless her heart, to the the abortion clinic. She didn't say, don't do this, Jan, but she was praying. She was interceding for me. And I went and made the appointment, got back in the car. Nobody said anything to me. My friend continued to intercede for me. A few days later, I woke up and remember, Jesse, I had heard back when I was watching, oh, God, I wanted how cool it would be if uh, God would talk to me and I could talk to God. And so I woke up one morning and for the first time I heard God. And he said this, he said, don't do it. It's murder. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. Yeah. And um, so I, that gave me the courage. So first of all, I knew not to do it because I believe the propaganda, by the way, I believe the propaganda about abortion. I looked it up. Roe v. Wade was only seven years old at that time. And I believe the, I, I only knew what I heard. And back then, you know, we didn't have the ultrasounds and we didn't have all that. So mm-hmm. I and so God intervened miraculously and said, and that gave me the courage. And so said, that, don't do it. That is murder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I told you the first time. I, I was just thinking, you know, as we're talking through and looking at, you know, God's hand of intervention in your life, you know, that even he used that moment 
to be the first time that he answered that desire of your heart for yeah. that intimate relationship. I know. Isn't that amazing? God is so good. You can't outdo God. Oh, okay, wait. <laughs> Let me calm down. I'm getting ready to preach. Okay. So, um, <laughs> Uh, so anyway, so I, I knew I needed to tell my parents and I knew this was not going to go well. I knew I could not be grand charity. My dad's dream was getting ready to come crashing down. And then for him to find out I was pregnant by a black man, that was going to be a whole nother, a whole nother set of circumstances for them. And then. And, and, then and I just have to ask the question about how many years ago would that have been? 1980. Okay, so just kind of on the tail end of the 70s, there was still a lot of that sort of stuff happening, uh, much different time than today. Oh, absolutely, and thanks for clarifying that. In fact, and when I would walk, you know, with my boyfriend at the time, not this guy, but earlier than that, a black man also, we would walk like through a restaurant and people would stop and, you know, look at us like we were an yeah, anomaly. Sad. So anyway, so anyhow, um, so I knew my dad slept in the buff. I, I knew my dad slept in the raw. And so I decided to tell my parents that I was pregnant when they were in bed because I knew my dad wouldn't get out of bed. So I, <laughs> Perfect timing, right? The things children know about their parents. <laughs> I know. I didn't, my dad was not an abusive man by any stretch of the imagination, but I was not sure. I just wasn't sure. So I told them in bed so he wouldn't get out of bed. And so, um, and so I'll never forget this. So I told my dad and you know, I've, I've heard God speak to me and, you know, honestly, all I know at this point in my Christian walk is John three sixteen. That's all I know in terms of scripture. That's it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then what God said to me. And so, um, I told my dad and he said, and my mom and dad, and he was like, oh, I know he wanted to get out of bed, but he couldn't. He was like, you need to have an abortion. And I said, dad, I'm not going to have an abortion. Abortion is murder. He goes, you need to have an abortion. And I said, dad, I'm not gonna. I said, you taught me two wrongs don't make a right. What I did to get pregnant was wrong, but killing this baby will not make it right. And I'm not going to do it. And he said, then you need then you're going to have to move out. Now I had just turned 19. And uh, so I said, okay, I don't know where I'm going to go, but I will pack my bags and I will move because I am not going to murder this baby. And then my sweet little mom, <laughs> she was a sweetheart. Like, and they had the traditional old school, the man, what the, the man, what the man says happens. And you know, my mom just, Okay, you know, that was my mom, which we got in a lot of arguments over that because I'd be like, you need to stand up to dad and he just can't. Oh, you know, so we always got in arguments about that when I got older. But my mom rose up, that mama bear rose up and she said his first name, middle name and last name. And she said, our daughter is going nowhere. We are going to stand by her. And my dad settled himself down. And I stayed with my parents. And to my dad's credit, he became my chief supporter during my pregnancy. And now, I. Now, Jan, I just want to, I don't want to, but 
because you've said a couple statements there and you've grown in the Christian faith now, do you now rebuke your mom standing up to your father? Do I now rebuke him? <laughs> the uh, man is the head of the household. No. <laughs> All right, Jeff. <laughs> no, I don't rebuke it. So sorry. <laughs> Yeah. And God's law is greater. So she was standing by, up for God's law. By the way, we do have a new uh, hate mail uh, email address. And it's <laughs> send your emails to writeoncontact at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> All that to get the, that new announcement out. Sorry there about we go. that. Yeah. Well, I can help you segue into that. <laughs> Anyhow, he was my chief supporter throughout. And, you know, I didn't know um, what I was going to do, but my dad, um, so I, I knew what a mother's sacrificial love looked like based on my mom's relationship with me. And so, and they had always explained in very loving terms, uh, my bio mom, my biological mom, they didn't know her, but they always were so kind. They said, you know, she was young and she couldn't take care of you. So she wanted to make sure you could be well cared for. And I'm just going to piggyback over here for a second. I have met my birth mom and um, she's an amazing woman. Wait, I'll just keep going. So my mom told me that. So I had, I had a good understanding about adoption, what a mom's love looked like. So I was, <clears throat> and the baby's dad, he was out of the picture really quick when I wouldn't have an abortion. Um, and so I was trying to decide what I was going to do. I started leaning toward adoption because I recognized at 19, um, I hadn't been able to achieve any of my goals. How on earth was I going to be able to raise a child and help them become, that was my, my process. I, not to say that it can't be done, but that was my personal process. And also I want to say, um, yes, abortion is murder. But for those of your audience that may be listening, I know many of them will have had an abortion, at least one. And um, God is very gracious and he forgives those because when you're in that situation and you have an unplanned pregnancy, it's a pressure cooker. It's like it's life changing. And it's so tempting to take the lie that somehow it'll make it go away if you have an abortion. It's so tempting to take that lie. And so sadly, many women do. And many men who would try to convince a woman because my, I, I didn't know I would have a son. I had a son. My son's bio father tried to convince me to do that. He called me a, when he found out I was thinking about adoption, he called me a baby seller. And so I just called him a baby murderer. That's just, that was our conversation. So, but so men pressure women and women and all those. It's a very, it's a hard decision. And my heart hurts for people that are in that place. So God is gracious and he will forgive us for that sin and for that decision. And he will heal because the woman who does that needs healing as well. I know I needed healing from giving my son up for adoption and uh, a woman needs that. But anyway, I, I, I went for adoption, and that is an amazing story. That whole adoption story is amazing in and of itself. But it was really interesting. I, I told you that my dad was my chief supporter. I 
I moved recently and was going through things, you know, how things clutter. And I had kept over the years, all of the adoption stuff. And I found, and I had forgotten this for every day I was in the hospital, I was in the hospital for five days. For every day I was in the hospital, my dad sent me flowers and he had a love note for me from my mom and him. And then one of the, one of the flowers, the note said, this is just from me. I'm proud of you and I love you. And wow. so when I say my dad became my chief supporter, he really did. I had a, had a, so I, that's why I don't like to think about what vows my dad might have had to take to be a 33rd degree Mason because I know who he was to me. Um, not perfect by any means, but you know, so anyway, uh, moving on. So I gave my son up for adoption and I walked out of the hospital uh, when he was five days old, it was a sealed adoption. And, um, uh, I didn't think I would ever see him again. Um, so we'll fast forward, um, some years and, um, I knew it was time to meet my birth mother and my parents had always supported. If you ever want to meet her, we'll support you. Now, as I, you know, grew in my faith and as I followed Christ and grew and so forth and so on, I always fantasized how cool it would be if my birth mom was a Christian and had prayed me into the kingdom because I knew my mom and dad did it. In fact, I led my mom to Christ before I led my mom to Christ. I led my grandmother to Christ and God like supernatural, like go now and speak to your grandma. She had been dementia and, and, and been in an injury and I'll be like, no, I'm going to wait. And no, go now. And so I went into my grandmother's room and she was alert. We had talked about Jesus and she didn't think he could forgive her because she had been married so many times. And and her mind was alert for the first time. And I shared again Jesus and asked her, did she want to? And she did. And so I prayed and she accepted Christ. And then her mind shut down again and grandma never came, you know. But in that it's moment. again. Yeah. Yeah. In that moment. Cause that had been my prayer. Lord, let me lead her. Anyway, going back that I'm getting off track. Um, <clears throat> so uh, my, I had this fantasy, maybe my mom prayed for me. So I knew it was time. And then that whole story is amazing. But anyway, my mom and dad were in my living room when I, and how we connected it. But when I called my birth mom and um, I, you know, we had the greeting and then she says to me, she says, I've prayed for you since the day you were born. And so I said to her, well, what did you pray? Because I'm thinking she could have prayed I'd been a Buddhist. I mean, I didn't know. <laughs> I said, what did you pray? And she said, well, I prayed that you would know the Lord Jesus. And I said, well, not only do I know the Lord Jesus, but I'm a children's pastor right now. And so wow. my, as I would hear the story from my mom and her story, she had a horribly abusive growing up. Um, not only did I see God's hand in plucking me out of that family to be raised with my family, but um, it was so painful for her to give me up for adoption. She never laid eyes on me. Mm. Wow. And to me, the power and the testimony of that, my mother, who never laid eyes on me, faithfully prayed for me, and I came to know Christ. 
And my encouragement from that is so many times grandparents, parents who love the Lord aren't able to tangibly, physically be involved in their children or grandchildren's lives. And they it's very painful for them. It's very frustrating for them. But my encouragement to those that are in that situation is God took the prayers of my birth mom who never saw me and he honored that and saved me. The power of prayer, the power of that prayer of those parents and grandparents, don't underestimate it because that's what God did for us, for my birth mom and me. Um, And so uh, we have a lovely relationship. She met my parents. It was a beautiful thing. Now with my son, um, again, God, a friend of mine gave me a Christmas ornament that said Babes of Christmas when I was pregnant with my son. And I hung that little ornament on the tree every year. And it was my moment with my son. And um, it was very special to me. And so I, uh, this one particular Christmas, um, by this time I'm a grandma and my daughter and little, um, she's probably three, three-year-old granddaughter live with me. I you know, did the tree and the ornament. I always put the ornament toward the back, but not in the back. And I only did it when no one was around. It was my little time. And um, so I put it up there and I heard when I put it up there, I heard in my head, this is going to get broken, but don't worry. You won't need an ornament anymore. You'll have your son. And I thought, Lord, is that you or is this my imagination? And so life is going on. My sweet little granddaughter is twirling around. She kicks the tree. Two ornaments go flying off the tree. One of them got broken. That would be my special ornament on carpet, nonetheless. And not it didn't crack, it didn't crumble, it just slipped. Like, so you could still see it, right? Just I was like, oh. And my daughter said, Mom, was that your ornament? <laughs> I was like, yes. And then I said, wait, I feel like when I hung it up that I heard this. I wonder if I'm going to meet my son. So I picked up the ornament and I tucked it in there because and put it away because I thought if I get to meet him, I'm going to share this story. And um, so fast forward just a few months, I knew it was time. And I had found through the adoption agency I had given my, I had worked with when I gave my son up for adoption that the city that I lived in had recently passed a law that uh, uh, birth parents or adoptees could open the sealed birth records if there was no reason not to. And the agency, I was like, yeah, well, because I was trying to decide if I was going to pay them to do it to find him or, excuse me. And I said, well, yeah, but if his last name is Smith, then that's a needle in a haystack, right? And so she said, just a minute, let me look. And so what I'm, I had God's favor. I just had God's favor with these people. She said, just a minute, let me look. Oh no, he has a unique last name you'll be able to find him. I said, okay. So I put in the paperwork and my daughter, all of her teenager life would say, I'm going to marry an NFL player when I'm, you know, I said, okay. So that was kind of, we, so finally the paperwork's there. We go to the courthouse. I'm like a nervous wreck. And let's see, let me think how old my son is. Okay. So he was, he would have been around 34 ish, 35 ish. 
when I do this. And so we're at the court. I bring my daughter with me because it's obviously her brother. Uh, I, I, I'm at the courthouse. I look over. I laugh. I say, hey, maybe your brother was an NFL player. And we get the papers and we go sit down in the in the hallway in the courthouse because I'm so excited. I want to open the papers. Right. And I sit by a door that says quiet court is in session. That should have been my signal because I'm very emotional. You, if you haven't figured that out yet, I'm talking with my hands, you know, I'm very emotional. <laughs> and so um, I shouldn't have sat there, but anyway, I did. So we get it and I'm fumbling through and I'm shaking and shaking. And my daughter's like, well, what's this name? I don't know. I can't find it. And tears are in my eyes. I can hardly see. And mind you, 35 years earlier, I walked out of the hospital and that's the last time I'd seen him. And, um, and then I find out, I find his mom's name and I find out she and I have the same middle name. That was so special to me. And then I finally find his name and I tell my daughter and she's like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, what? I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he's dead. I don't know why my mind, I'm not the half full cup. I have to work on having the half full cup. I am not the half full cup instinctively. And I said, wow, oh my gosh, why? She goes, mom, was he born here? Yes, was he? Yes. She's like, oh my gosh, he played football at some big college, right? Some well-known college, some well-known. He played football at this. I was like, mom, he was a first round draft pick in the NFL. (laughs) I said, what? All your sports skills went to I know. So, and it was so funny because I had just said at the counter, what if your brother's an NFL player? <laughs> so funny. And so she takes the camera and shows me a picture. I'm so, so obviously, you know, it's easy to find him. And she shows me a picture of him as a man. 35 years of not seeing my son. And I see him as a man, you know, and I lost it. I started wailing uh, a mixture of Thanksgiving and the pain, you know, and all that wailing by the door that says quiet, court is in session. And uh, in fact, I was so loud that a worker said, are you came to me. Are you fine? Are you, you know, and so then. I began to stalk my son online because I <laughs> because I could find him. He knew nothing about me. <laughs> and so I just was trying to find out as much about him as I could. And in the meantime, I um, <clears throat> talked to my pastor. And um, having been a um, an adoptee, it gave me a, a good insight on how to be a good birth mother. Um, because, you know, as a birth mother, that's your... He will always be my son, but I am not his mother. His mother was his mother who raised him. So my, like my birth mom, I love her dearly. You know how, when you grow up and you have those, those friends, moms who you just love and they become like a mom to you. I would say that's like my relationship with my birth mom. She's a mom to me, but we don't, as much as I love her, it's nothing close to my mom. Right. And so I knew. And so, so unfortunately many birth moms, want to have this like relationship and you, you just got to let the adoptee, the child set the pace. You can't. So I um, asked my pastor to write a letter. And like I said, it was easy to find the man because, and so I didn't want to be the first one to 
introduce myself to him. I just felt like, and it didn't, it's not just because he was a professional athlete, but it was because it's respect. It was like, I want to respect him. If he doesn't, if he could be, he could have been a, you know, a school teacher or anything else. I want to respect him. If he doesn't want to have contact with me, I don't want to be the one making the contact. Mm -hmm. So my pastor, it took him a couple months, but he crafted a, a letter and I made some edits because it was very, very, very important to me. Because I, I felt like it's my one shot. It's my one shot. It may be the only shot I have. And so it was really, really important to me that my son know that his being adopted was by no means rejection, but it was an act of love. Because I know that children that are adopted, rejection is something a part of what we can we battle. But in no way was he rejected and that it was an act of love and that I, that I made that decision from love and for his with his best interest in heart. And so um, about a week later, I get an email from him. And this is really key what he wrote in it. And he said, because you gave me life and didn't take what some would consider the easy way out by aborting me, I feel I owe it to you to get to know you. Mm. And so we began to correspond via email. And then out of the blue, he and his wife decide they want to come meet me in person. And it was just before Christmas. And so when we met, when we, I already had met him, obviously, but he had to meet me. But um, I was able to sh share with him that ornament and that story. And I was able to share with my son how the Lord literally spared his life and spoke to me and told me not to have an abortion. So, um, yeah, so that's what an incredible story. Yeah. <clears throat> now there's going to be, and there, then there's no offense if you don't ask this, but I know our audience is going to be curious. Are you, do you have permission to give out his name? I don't. Okay. That, and that I had to ask it just mm -hmm. to, so it's out there, but that's mm -hmm. respectful. And we're going to leave it there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the power of God just, you know, is woven all throughout. And I think, wasn't it, it was around the time did you get, you got to meet him after we had met. Cause mm -hmm. I remember praying for you as you were going to be going to meet with him and stuff mm -hmm. and pray, praying as you guys were writing that letter and you were reaching out. Yeah. So that was really oh. neat. Yeah. It was, there's so many, I mean, there's so many things like, there's just so many things I would take way too long to tell you all the little, all the little things where you could see God's hand in all of it. Like, but yeah, well, God is. I do, I do have a question for you, Jan. Um, and I apologize if you mentioned this, I had, my dog was freaking out and there was someone at the door twice that <laughs> I had to go. Um, but just to bring things full circle, what's happened with your dad and his relationship with the Lord? Oh, thank you. Gosh, I can't forget that. Okay, so my mom passed in May of 2019. I had led my mom to Christ a few years earlier. And um, that was an amazing time sitting next to her and being with my dad. As uh, So she passed in May of 2019, but my dad did not know 
that she had accepted Christ, to my knowledge. Um, and so, uh, in, so what's interesting is my, as much as I love my dad, we butt heads a lot <laughs> growing when I grew up. We butt heads a lot. Oh, and one of the things I didn't say is even though I denounced the Mason and all that, I, I, as a, a, a daughter who loved my parents, I still supported my dad in some of the things that he did in the shrine. Well, you're commanded to love your mother and father, right? Right. And I would That's honor the commandment. Them. Right. That's right. So how I did that was like, I would go to the parades when my dad was clowning. When he was uh, had his big uh, potentate thing, I went to that. I mean, you don't get to go to the real ceremony because the public, you know, that's secret. But I went to the part that everyone could go to where you dressed up and did all that. So those kinds of ways I still, so it didn't create, it didn't create a, and I often got frustrated at how much time he spent because it interrupted spending time with my granddaughter and my, excuse me, my daughter. I mean, it was a point of contention, quite frankly. So we didn't, we butt heads a lot. <clears throat> But um, so I don't don't want your audience to think, oh, we just no we and I'm a strong personality in case you didn't figure that one out either. <laughs> and so um, we, you know, we butt heads. But um, so if you would have asked me. Now, my mom was slowly stolen from us through dementia and Alzheimer's. But if you were to ask me who I would miss most or who I, you know, whatever. Um, it would have been my mom. Like I would. <laughs> this sounds ugly. But I would have wanted my dad to die first because I would miss my mom so much. Well, none of that happened like I would have thought. And so that so the last five years of my parents lives, my dad had taken a fall. Let me tell you what Medicare is jacked up, just what they did to him. Anyway, I had to transition them up closer to where I lived. And so I provided a lot of support for them. Uh, they were in assisted living and I took them to their appointments and I did this. And so over the years, my dad and I got to conversate and have conversations in a way that we never did. And I know that my dad, um, he was raised by his grandparents. He suffered. I, the Lord would show me this stuff later. He battled with rejection. And then honestly, as a teenager and kind of a young adult, in some ways, I rejected him sort of kind of, you know, because we were always button heads. Um, and. And so anyway, we got closer, you know, in those five years and particularly the, the last year between the time my mom passed away and my dad passed away, he and I got extremely close. And um, so uh, he had had a huge bleed. Um, that I got him to the hospital in a, we were at a doctor's appointment. It, I can't explain it because, but you see God in it if I did. But anyway, got him to the hospital. He had stopped bleeding momentarily just for me to get him to the hospital. That was God. He get into the hospital. He ended up having 10 units of blood. He had this huge bleed uh, during the course of him being there while they're trying to figure out what's happening. So he's discharged from the hospital six weeks. So when he was discharged from the hospital, I'm like, okay, dad, look. We need to talk about salvation. Like, where are you at? Because you almost died. So let's just chat about this. 
so we talked and he's like, no, I believe Jesus. I said, dad, have you accepted Jesus as your savior? Yes, yes, I have. I said, okay. So six weeks later, my dad starts getting sick and coughing. COVID is rampant at this point. You know, the masks that's so, okay, I won't even go there. Um, he, <laughs> they were quarantined. He's coughing. I didn't know all this stuff yet, but I knew about HQ and um, stuff. And so anyway, I get the call from the nurse. You know, we're going to send him to the emergency room. I said, don't let him take him till I get there because I live very quickly. Because in my head, I'm like, this might be the last time I get to see him and touch him. Because obviously I couldn't go into the hospital. I couldn't go into the assisted living. I was going to see and touch my dad one more time. Like nobody was going to take that from me. So I rushed there. He's in the, they're pulling him out. He's in the gurney. I take his hand and I say, dad, I, you know, I can't go to the hospital with you this time, but I'm, I'm here and I'm going to be fighting for you and I'm praying for you. And I took his hand and let him know how much I love him. So a few days, uh, uh, the next day they called me and said the, the COVID test had come back. Uh, they didn't know they had to do it again. And in my head, for whatever reason, I didn't think they were testing him from COVID, but, and so then that next Saturday morning, I get a call and uh, from the nurse. My dad is 91 years old at this point, COPD and congestive heart failure, and had just had that huge bleed. And they say, we need to know if we can put him on a respirator. Excuse me? I didn't know he was that sick. <clears throat> and so I wouldn't let him. I won't go into all those details because then I'm sure this would get tagged and you couldn't. Yeah, even but, try to avoid the uh, the names of it, please. Oh, okay. Thank you. That thing. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> long story short, he beat it. A miracle. I wouldn't let him do all that. I wouldn't let him. And he beat it because I insisted they do something else. They reluctantly agreed to. And 24 hours later, he turned around and he got out in two weeks. So, uh, but he had to go into rehab again. I can't get to him. And then he started, and he could walk. He could walk when he got out and all that. But then two days into rehab, he couldn't like, I don't know what they did or didn't do. And I'm fighting as much as I can. Anyway, he started declining. And, um, and it's because I couldn't get to him and do all the right things. Anyway, that being said, um, he went to emergency. He kept getting blood clots. Well, we know that's from that thing. He kept getting clots. And so he'd go to ER, they would send him back. He would go to ER, they would send him back. So this third time, I decided to send him to a different hospital. And they actually, because he needed to be admitted. And so, would I do that now? Maybe not. But so they um, admitted him. <clears throat> and I have to say, to their credit, they worked hard for my dad. They worked hard for him. And his blood pressure kept lower, his heart, whatever, when he would sleep, any, all they were trying to figure out, he, all this stuff. And um, they worked hard on his behalf and I couldn't go in. And then the tyrannical state that I lived in lifted us to the next level. And I was able to go in to see him, but he didn't know that I was going to get to, I hadn't been able to see him. I'd be looking through windows and stuff, but so I'm on the phone to him and I'm chatting and I'm literally in his room. He's like, I can't hear you. He's getting frustrated. I said, dad, look up. He looked up and I was standing there. Uh, if you could have seen his face and I got to love on him and do his nails because they don't do none of that, you know, just kind of make him feel more human. And I said, okay, dad. So what was happening though, things weren't good. So they decided they were going to try to put a pacemaker 
in his heart to keep his his heart rate from going so low. 91, they weren't giving up on him. Like that's unheard of. That was just God's favor and goodness. And but he started bleeding all of a sudden. So they couldn't find it. So they so we kind of did a Hail Mary pass to try to figure this out. But this the day that they were going to put him in the procedure, it was like if this doesn't work, he's going, you know, he's not going to make it. The Holy Spirit said, "You need to get there." He does not know me. And so I rushed there and we were chatting. We had the most amazing, my dad knew it was a Hail Mary pass. He knew he could make it or not. It was the most amazing conversation we've ever had. Loving. And I said to him, dad, I'm not confident that you really have given your life to Christ. And I, we need to talk. And so we talked and I said, dad, are you ready to give your life to Christ? He said, yeah, I am. And so I prayed and I said, dad, I'm going to pray. Cause, and, and if what I pray is you pray along with me, if you agree it with it. And, and I did, and he did. And I said, dad, you are now a son of God. You are now, you belong to Jesus. And he's like, well, I'm worried. And I said, well, what are you worried about? And he said, well, I'm afraid this isn't real. I'm afraid that I just did this so I could go to heaven. And I said, well, that's why I did it. (laughs) Hello. It is fire insurance after all. (laughs) Yes. And so anyway, he went into the procedure and he, and the doctor came and talked to me. They could not find the bleed because it was in his upper. uh, So none, so they weren't going to do the permanent. They had a temporary pacemaker. They weren't going to do the permanent base because they couldn't find the plea. And it was just a matter of time. So <clears throat> at that point, he becomes on hospice. So I go up to see him out into he was in ICU. I went up to see him and he said to me, he, he just like started crying. And he said, he doesn't want me. I said, Dad, what do you mean? He doesn't want me. I said, what do you mean he doesn't want you? I'm still here. <laughs> so he thought God didn't want him because God let him live. <laughs> And I said, no, dad, God knew that I need, he wants you. you you're you already his. He, God just knew I needed to see you again. It's not about him not wanting you. And then he's going, but Jan, I'm so concerned because I haven't been able to, to live it. He goes, Jan, I've watched you and you've lived it. And that, that meant more to me than wow. anything anybody could have ever said. He goes, I've watched you and you've lived it but I don't have time to live it. I said, as long as you're breathing, you have time to live it. I said, dad, think of the, the, when Jesus died, there were thieves and murderers on either side of him. And one of them mocked him. And the other one recognized for the first time that Jesus was the answer. Jesus was the way to God. And he asked Jesus to remember him. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. I said, dad, I believe that the Lord let us see that conversation with those so we would understand that even up until the very last minute, the Lord is extending his gift of salvation and his grace to all who will receive it. I said, so that, that man on the cross didn't have time to do anything but believe. And I said, the same is true for you. But he goes, how do I know he forgave? He forgave you. Dad, think of your worst sin. And I said that because of listening 
and learning more about the masonry. I don't know exactly what things my dad participated in or vows that he took or anything that might have happened. But I said, Dad, think of your in your mind what is your very worst sin that you ever committed. And I said, the Lord forgave you not only for that, but for all of the others. Those are That's under right. his blood and forgiven. So <clears throat> we just talked and just had wonderful daughter, father-daughter talk. And I just kept reassuring. And he really struggled. He wanted it to be real. And I think, um, you know, obviously years of whatever training he had was interfering. But not only that, I knew it was real because he wanted it to be real so bad. You know what I mean? And yeah. so that, that I, is the sign. <laughs> that is the sign that he's worried now that uh, he hasn't had time to live it and things like that. I'm, I'm just curious though, because you had mentioned something that uh, your father didn't know that your mother had received salvation. Uh, when you were having that conversation with him, uh, did it ever come up at that point and saying, by the way, if you want to be with mom again, uh, you know, this might be a way for you to go. That's a great question. In fact, I shared that with him after his surgery when he was struggling i said dad i for you know i need to tell you something i've never told you i said a few years ago i led mo mom prayed what we prayed mom's in heaven and he just teared up he just i said not only that dad and i told him the story of grandma that was his mother i said i told the story of grandma he didn't know that either and he just it just i know it ministered comfort to him yeah. but yeah he did know and so uh, it was funny because now that he was on hospice, um, they took the little temporary ca uh, pacemaker out of his neck and he finally got to eat what he wanted. So he ordered a Coca-Cola and this, they said he can have whatever he wants. And so um, I said, okay, dad, I'm gonna come back at lunch. Cause I was working. I said, I'm gonna come back at lunch. And I knew he had favorite foods. So I said, what do you want? You want sushi or do you want, he loved Arby's barbecue Arby's or do you want, <laughs> This one, uh, these coconut prawns at this restaurant he loved. He goes, I want the prawns. He like he loved the prawns. I said, Dad, you want me to bring you a margarita? I can bring you a margarita. Bring me a mark. Bring me the big margarita. I was like, okay, Dad, <laughs> it's coming for lunch tomorrow. You get to eat what you want. And so, um, but as I left the hospital, I just started crying. And and of course, I was like, Lord, it it's excruciating. And and people who are listening know to be separated for your from your families when they're been battling in the hospital and you can't, I'm, and I was like, my dad, I was a fierce advocate for my parents. I was always professional and always, most of the time I was always polite. There was a few times I forgot that part, but I was, <laughs> I was an advocate for my dad and he had nicknamed me the bulldog. And so <laughs> when at the assisted living, things weren't quite right, he would say to them, do I need to call the bulldog out of her kennel? <laughs> <laughs> so I like, no. so like this. So I say all that to say I was like a fierce bulldog when he was in the hospital. I used to every day go get Starbucks or I got Starbucks order for the nurses on the unit on the on that special unit. And I would bring them Starbucks every day and I made them a big thank you sign because they were working so hard. And but I advocated I was on those doctors and everything. I did all that I could do. And so as I was driving after leaving dad, I, I started crying. I said, Lord, I can't do this any longer. I'm so tired. And I have to, I only have a few days to find some place for dad to go to be on hospice, but wherever he goes, I can't go. I can't be there with him. 
And I said, I know that there's an appointed time for man to die. And I trust you with your timing. But would you be so kind as to take my dad tonight? Because I don't, I don't know what to do. I, I can't keep this up. And I said, I trust you. I trust you with the timing of taking dad. But I'm just going to ask you, do you mind? And um, so I called dad before I went to sleep or when I thought he, yeah, around that time. And I said, dad, I just, you know, I love you. Um, I said, I wanted you to know if you get afraid, I don't care what time it is. Because, you know, I was thinking maybe there might be some sort of spiritual attack that might come on him or. You know, he's not going to be equipped to know what to do. So if you get afraid or anything, Dad, I don't care what time it is. If you feel lonely, you need to talk to me. You call me. I don't care what time it is. My dad said to me, he said, well, what do I have to be afraid of? I said, well, aren't you right? I said, because you got the Lord and all his angels with you. So, yeah, what do you don't have anything to be afraid of? But if you want to talk to me, you call me. So he said, okay, you know, we did the I love yous. And then um, 6.30 that next morning, I got a phone call. And um, my the Lord was so gracious to me, and he took my dad. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't have to go out of pocket for the prawns and the margarita That's and stuff right. like that. But I went and had the prawns and the margarita. <laughs> I did go and have it to celebrate him. And honor him. <laughs> <laughs> powerful story jan i just love yeah you know how clearly the hand of god is at work throughout your entire life and yeah i love every time i get to hear your story or as more of it comes out throughout the years and it's amazing and then when i was cleaning out my folks assisted living place my dad had this huge huge picture of him and his fez his potentate fez um and I sent it to Jesse. I said, we're looking at the miracle right here. This That's is right. no longer. Amen. This is no longer. And the other thing I was kind of funny, when I had to clean, I had to clean out their house when they had to move to the assisted living. And I asked my dad, <clears throat> I said, dad, I said, do you want any of your, your masonry books and all that? I said, do you need any of it? And he goes, no. I was like, yes, I just <laughs> shut down those bad boys. I, threw, I rebuked this in the name of and I was throwing out all this stuff. And um, and so uh, when uh, um, when he passed, uh, one of the things I did ask him, do you regret it? And he said, I don't regret it being in it. The you did a lot of good. Yeah, I don't regret it because um, of the children. He Amen. loved the children. Well, I think we're going to have to leave it there, but I, I think that's been an amazing story. And just hang on uh, for a second, Jen. Uh, Jesse and I just have a couple things to throw out there for a minute. Um, so, Jesse, just to, to recap, I, th I think one of, the, like, obviously it's a story of redemption, and that's got to be close to your heart, someone coming out of the system, whether he was knowingly participating in the brotherhood or right. not, it's someone who came out of the system and, you know, how a child was used. But what, really strikes me in this story is the adoption versus abortion issue. Yeah. And well, I think it know. was that love that, you know, here this man and his wife, you know, chose to take Jan in at a young age. And because he truly loved God honored that love and brought him, you know, that became the source of his salvation and their family's salvation 
you know, that everybody in his house came to the Lord. Everybody so in that's the house. That's so powerful. Exactly. And, and, you know, just listen up, uh, you know, some of you are listening on Podbean, some of you are seeing this on video, but when you just see the life that's in Jan and, you know, uh, that's, that was a decision that her mother made and then she made it and look at, we've got an NFL star, you know, so uh, just an incredible, incredible story, uh, every bit of it. And God really was uh, in step, uh, lockstep every bit of the way, but uh, we have just a couple quick announcements that you're going to want, and I'm going to surprise Jesse with one. I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be okay, because I just thought of this as we were, let's, my mind wanders, what can I say? Sure, let's uh, go for it, Jeff. I'll be so surprised. first of all, <laughs> Wednesday, Wednesdays at 1 p.m., it's a Podbean exclusive. We have the military analyst, <laughs> and last week was controversial, folks. I'm not going to deny that. Yeah. Um but we, uh, we're going to have him again, and actually he sent me a whole bunch of stories. I'm going to pick one that I think, uh, if he's willing to do it, is going to be really, really revealing as it ties in exactly with what Jesse and I have uh, been bringing forth, uh, forth in fact, uh, on the Philosopher's Stone, Jesse. Wow. I look so, forward to that. That's exciting. So that's Podbean Live. It does not get on to the, to the video channels. It's only on Podbean. You have to go get the app or go to writeonradio.podbean.com and the website is there and you can get it from there as well. And uh, what I was thinking about, just as I was thinking about doing that announcement, Jesse, is uh, are you available at some point during the day, we, we can come up with a time after, to do another pod being live on friday yeah absolutely my afternoon is open for that so oh okay so here's what i was thinking you'd tell me if this is a good idea or not it, it, it's twofold friday okay <laughs> so the first one is in case of what the military analyst says it can be fallout friday <laughs> deal <laughs> with the fallout well, we gotta stop you know we gotta think of a better name for it we don't want it to be fallout you know, yes, some people are shell-shocked a little bit after they process what he's had to say, but, you know, we'll come up with a better name, Jeff, I think. Okay, Paul. well, here's here's <laughs> the other one, because when it's twofold, that means there's a another thing as well. How about a freebie Friday? And here's what I'm thinking, Jesse. We will give away some right on you courses live on the air you have to be there live you'll have to call in and depending on the course that we are giving away you will have to answer a skill testing question that is pertinent to that course i really like that that sounds amazing and so total yeah. supporter of getting just getting this stuff into people's hands so that sounds That's right. Amazing. So, so a freebie Friday and a fallout Friday, we'll come up with some better uh, branding. Uh, just thought of it, but uh, I think that would be really, really amazing. So we'll announce it on Thursday's show, what time we'll be doing it on Friday, but it will be a pod being exclusive. Um, Jesse, do you have any final thoughts before we go away today? Yeah, actually I do. Um, as Jan was talking about her dad and, um, you know, 
just kind of the end of life decisions they were having to make and you know they're questioning hospice things like that it was kind of bringing back some of my memories in doing that work and you know i was thinking how many people in our audience out there who are in the position of having to care for family friends or loved ones as i'm thinking about all that um you know my thoughts kind of went to myself today i had shared this morning my prayer request uh with you that um you know, I've, I've had a lot of issues after three major shoulder surgeries yeah. and they were pretty extensive. Um, my last one, they ended up removing half my collarbone and widening my AC joints and things like that in my shoulder. So a lot of uh, bone pain, a lot of nerve pain. So as I was thinking about that and Jan's tender care of her dad, um, it was make you know, brought me back to this morning where you know, I was kind of intentionally just doing that tender care on myself as well and wanted to say, you know, like some of the stuff, it actually was a miracle how the Lord brought me to this. But, you know, during I went through how many years, probably a five year period where because of the shoulder surgeries, I was at a level 10 pain all the time. I, I can't take pain meds because they make me very sick. Um and, uh, you know, so it, it was just one of those things that by the grace of God, I got through and it, you know, how I got through was through prayer and, you know, it would just be hours of every time that, you know, I would be in the word, I'd be praying, but one day it was just kind of over the top and it was like, God, you know, how much of this do I have to endure? And you get tired, you get weary, you just want that edge to be taken off. And so as I'm standing in the pharmacy line, the Lord, you know, I'm sitting there looking at this product and it was a neuropathy oil for feet, right? And it says frankincense and myrrh. And I, that's what kind of struck me about it. I was like, huh, that's kind of weird. I haven't seen, you know, those names for a long time. And um, all of a sudden the Lord says, get that. And I was like, but God, I don't have neuropathy right? You know, again, I'm thinking feet. And the Lord says, you need that for your shoulder. And so I got that and I ended up mixing it with some lotion, putting it on that shoulder. And would you believe like it actually, that frankincense and myrrh got down to the bone pain. So all that to say that, you know, that's been one of the things as we've been engaging in mylibertystand.com they have access to those essential oils and other things. And so, you know, this morning I was putting on that renew lotion and with the frankincense and myrrh drops and stuff and addressing that bone pain. So, you know, I was thinking if, you know, if you're out there, if you're really, you know, you're caring for elderly uh, parents or family members, you need creative solutions. Sometimes God gives us answers in the places we least expect it. So, mm -hmm. You know, and uh, I want to put that out there for anybody who may need something. I just felt like the Lord wanted me to share that today. Um, but we're praying, you know, praying for those. Caregiving is a hard position to be in. So know that, you know, Jeff and I pray for all of you out there every day. And if you have specific prayer needs, please reach out, share them with us. Know that we do pray for you guys. And we pray specifically if you share what your need is. 
That's right. And, and just to just continue on with the, the care for others and stuff like that. You know, one of the things is uh, at my Liberty stand, they have all the supplements and things like that, but they're all natural. It's plant-based, you know, the stuff that the Rockefellers had banned from knowledge. Uh, this stuff is all available there. So you can actually improve the care uh, for them. And uh, there's a lot of integrity behind it. So go to my Liberty stand. Uh, com and sign up today. Jesse, thank you. And thank you for introducing us to Jan. Uh, what a wonderful story. And yeah. uh, I know our audience is absolutely going to fall in love with her and the story. So in the meantime, remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor, and make a difference in your community.